0: Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Detroit Today here on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Michigan got some bad news this week from the U.S. Census Bureau. Although we've grown as a state since 2010, gaining about 100,000 new Michiganders. We're not growing as fast as most other states, which means that we're going to lose a congressional seat. Now, no one should be shocked. This is what we've expected for a long time now, and it is what has happened after each of the five, uh, each of the five last census counts, uh, dating back to when I was born uh, in 1970. But this is still one more blow to our clout in Washington as a state. And it has many more implications for things like federal funding and our ongoing redistricting efforts. The news from the Census Bureau is going to have a big impact on Michigan's new independent redistricting commission as well. Remember, politicians are no longer drawing the lines for Congress or State House here in uh, Michigan. We've got an independent commission that is going to do that. And that process was already going to look different. We want to talk today about how different it might look because we now have to have a map that loses uh, another congressional seat and talk about what other kinds of implications might be coming out of that. So here to talk about all of this are two people who know a lot about the census, about population shifts, and redistricting here in Michigan. Kurt Metzger is a local demographer with 45 years of experience here in Detroit. He worked at the U.S. Census Bureau from 1975 to 1990, and he is the founder of Data-Driven Detroit. He is also, by the by, the mayor of Pleasant Ridge. Kurt, welcome back to Detroit Today.
1: Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, We also have with us John Igia, who is a redistricting expert at Michigan State University, where he is a professor of economics and political science. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Yes. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So, uh, Kurt, uh, I'm going to start with you. As I mentioned in the open, we all expected this. This has been happening here in Michigan, as I said, my entire life. we When I was born in 1970, we had 18 uh, members of the House from Michigan uh, in Washington. Each decade since then, we've we've lost one. Uh, now we're gonna go down to thirteen uh, but I'm curious what you think explains this this shift I guess in in population uh, sometimes it's because we've actually lost population uh, this year we gained population we just didn't gain as much as uh, as as right. other other people right. other states what what what's been going on over this this period of time
1: well just to let you know that when when I was born um, <laughs> Michigan only had seventeen seats, and so we actually gained after that, uh-huh. uh, and mm-hmm. now we're going back. Um, no, this is con- a continue continuum of this movement of the population to the south and the west. It just um, there's nothing different than that. But you know, as they said, when air conditioning was invented, the south became much more attractive, mm. <laughs> and it's just and it's just continued this this movement to you name it the carolinas to georgia to florida that whole southern route and then even though california lost for the first time in 170 years we still have that movement to colorado to new mexico to texas um, all that the south and the west and it and it continues started certainly with with weather but also because of economic issues, um, anti-union. There was a lot of movement to the South, but it's just been this continuous increase. And we've seen a large um, number of African Americans moving back to the South. And certainly if you listen to Charles Blow from, from the New York Times, he's he's pushing more more African Americans to move into the South where they'll have more control over the political um, outcomes in those states.
0: Mm. So, so how worried should we be here in Michigan about this? Of course, you, you lose political clout if you lose right. population. Right. You lose some federal funding uh, if you actually lose population. Um, mm. But but, are there other things that, that are affected by this? And how concerned should we be about uh. trying to
1: reverse it? Well I think we should be concerned, and it's not it's not just the numbers, and certainly i don't I don't agree with political clout because we're now so so divided in terms of Republicans and Democrats that there is no coordination within a uh, state's um, represent you know representatives, but it is this idea of what's what's driving Michigan or what is what's behind the Michigan numbers mm-hmm. and that is a and a growing elderly white population, um, some increases certainly in, in persons of color, but because of reductions in, in um, immigration, that certainly has affected Michigan. Mm-hmm. Michigan tends to be in what we call an out-migrant state, at least domestically. We send more people to other parts of the country than we receive, and and it, it varies based on, on the economy. As our economy gets worse, those numbers increase. As our economy gets better, the numbers decrease. But we're always on the, the negative side. Um, we've usually been able to um, overcome that with immigration and birth rates, you know, more births than deaths, natural increase. Well, our births are down. We're now, as I've seen, uh, 2019, our births were the lowest since 1941. And 2020 will be even lower than that. Mm. Um, So we're not gaining by births, we're losing by out-migrants, and we're aging. So we're not attracting the young, educated. We heard that during um, the Amazon discussions and everything else. We're just not attracting the young, educated population that we need. Um, And when businesses are looking, I saw a couple articles based on on the, the results, talking about when they look at the workforce they don't see um, av- you know a, an available workforce or at least the workforce that they're looking for and so the question will be is how do we keep those businesses here or are they going to start looking elsewhere as so many have
0: yeah yeah um, uh, John I want to bring you into the, the the conversation here and talk about how this change in demographics and this loss in relative uh, uh, population strength, I guess, uh, I- I within the union, uh, affects the redistricting process here in Michigan, where, of course, we have this new independent commission drawing the lines for the first time. Uh, it was going to be different from, from the jump this year, but the idea that uh, we've got to do it and, and contract the map, I guess, uh, seems to me as though it makes it even a, a more different process and and presents maybe some challenges.
2: Yes, well, first let me say that uh, we do attract some uh, young, highly educated people. I, I, I'll put myself as an example. I, I came to this state in 2014. I was younger then and, uh, and highly educated and uh, I love it here. So I do think that Michigan remains uh, uh, an, an attractive place that yes, there is out migration, but but we do have some strengths that will attract some people, uh, myself as an example. Uh, back to the redistricting uh, question, So moving it from 14 to 13, uh, having to redraw the map would mean that if the previous map had been any good, so that we only wanted to make any minor changes, then that strategy would no longer be available because we need to draw a completely new map with 13 districts. Mm And so the previous one would not be a valid example. Whatever district uh, someone lives in now does not what is going to be next. But since the previous map wasn't any good, it wasn't a good role model to follow. It, it was not a case of uh, if ain't broke, don't fix it. It was, It is broken. It needs to be fixed. So even if we had had 14 districts, the commission was almost surely not, not even going to look at the previous map. And it was going to draw as if it was completely new map uh, from a blank slate. So... Now it's going to start with a blank slate and a task of dividing Michigan in 13 pieces. I don't think it's going to be that much more challenging than if it had had to divide it in 14 because the previous example of 14 was not a valid uh, role model to follow.
0: So I'm a bit more optimistic
2: uh, about what they can do.
0: So so, that's interesting because I don't know that we have, as just citizens, have heard a lot about what this process is going to to look like? We've had uh, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson on a couple of times to sort of update us on where the committee is in its work, uh, but but I mean she's sort of stayed away from making predictions about what they might do or, or might not do. Uh, I mean it seems like you're saying the old map is is you know tossed in the in the waste basket as as a first gesture and that uh, you start from scratch. And I'm not sure that everybody necessarily assumed uh, that that was that was going to be the case. Uh, Talk about why that old map was no good, even if you were going to still be able to divide the state into 14 congressional districts.
2: Okay, so without getting into the controversies as to all that was wrong with the previous map, And uh, there were many things wrong with the previous map. Uh, District Court tossed it out as unconstitutional before that was overruled. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, the the Michigan Constitution had an amendment in 2018 that not only created this commission, which is maybe what was more in the news, but it created new requisites, new criteria that districts had to follow. So the previous map failed to do what it should have been doing according to previous uh, requisites, but at least it was it was drawn according to fewer constraints and fewer instructions since 2018 the commission has uh, uh, since, since the amendment in 2018 the commission and all future redistrictors uh, uh, map makers in Michigan have to follow a new clear guidelines and criteria that are in the Michigan Constitution. so a map drawn before that was not meant to to follow the new criteria, Mm -hmm. uh, whereas now the Constitution tells this commission exactly what to do. So there have been two huge changes with that ballot initiative that uh, Michigan voters passed. One is that instead of the maps being drawn by politicians, it will be drawn by this Commission of Independent Citizens. And second, the Commission of Independent Citizens is not as free to draw whatever it pleases. It needs to draw something that follows the exact criteria spelled out in the Constitution, That was not a constraint that politicians had in the past. So even if there wasn't anything particularly nasty about the previous map, it was a map done for a different time with different rules. Hmm. Now the commission has to follow these clear criteria that are ordered from most important to least important. Besides the federal laws, which we always had to follow, the, the districts have to respect communities of interest, and they have to not provide any partisan advantage to any party. These are now the top two state criteria, and there are more. And these were not criteria that were spelled out as a legal requirement in the past. Uh, So that makes that a very different drawing exercise.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. One of the things, one of the criticisms uh, that was leveled at the previous map was uh, the, the, the contorted nature of... The districts that you had, um, you know, I think the the fourteenth is the one that probably leaps out most in people's minds. It stretches from, you know, the Detroit Riverfront all the way uh, east, and then back west, and then north to Pontiac, um, and and that's the kind of map that we see in lots of states where partisan advantage is the 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 only driving. Really imperative behind uh, map drawing. I, I, I wonder though if you remove that, as we have, as the, the the main criteria, and put in other rules that that aim at some sort of neutrality, would you get a map, or are we likely to get a map that is more grid-like, in other words, uh, or box-like, in other words, that the the districts will will look more. Um, like whole pieces instead of kind of jagged segments the way that it does now. Is that something we should be anticipating?
2: We would expect somewhat less jagged, less monstrous uh, shapes with horns and legs and arms. uh, (laughs) But uh, compactness, which is the the technical term for something that looks chunky rather than all sorts of tentacles is a very low criteria. So the problem with these bizarrely shaped districts is not so much that they look strange, is that what they were trying to do uh, to be to be like that. So the, the criteria that again have to follow is respect communities of interest. So maintain a, a city together. Typically, cities are more or less compact. But if a city had a very strange shape, or if a valley and your is a community. The lake shore and the lake had an inner lake had a strange shape. It's okay to have a bizarre shape if it is for a good reason. If it is because you are trying to keep together a city, you are trying to keep together uh, a fishing community around the river. uh, So you are following a a a community that is there with a bizarre shape. Mm. That would be a valid reason to keep a strange district. The problem with the previous strange shapes is that we're not drawn to maintain together a community uh, of interest. They were drawn to advantage the party that drew the maps. So that's not a valid reason to create bizarrely shaped uh, districts. So that's what stands to the eye most. The 14th is very ugly uh, shape. But if you look at other other states that have followed this model, uh, like uh, California for a Mm -hmm. couple decades have had a redistricting commission, they push back against the idea that you need to draw squares or rectangles because there are communities that the the community itself doesn't have a shape in, in the form of a square. The community is following a valley, is following a river, it stretches. And then it's okay to keep that community together with a shape that is not a rectangle, but is more organic. Mm. Uh, but we're not going to have monsters like the 14th because communities do not look like that. Yeah. So you okay. can have deviations from those boxes for a good reason. The last map had it for a bad reason.
0: Yeah. Uh, Kurt, I hear uh, you trying
2: to jump yeah, in would,
1: there. This is, continues to be a question of mine, and so I'll throw this out. Um, the 13th and 14th were both, I mean, in their bizarre shapes, were drawn to meet the voting rights requirements of having a major- two majority-minority districts. As far as I know. The question so may, is, I qualify, may I qualify we, that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, the, yes, please. The, I'm, and that's what I'm asking. Do I we mean, I think, the, have,
0: I think the right way to say that is that they were drawn to cynically try to respect uh, the VRA and maybe the most cynical I- iteration well, they may have been of it. Cynical. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, there are other ways to draw it, but do we still need?
0: But do we still need to do
1: that? Yes. Right? Do we know. still so, need two majority minority districts? So
2: let me qualify, in the, the Voting Rights Act is an extremely difficult uh, uh, act that uh, has spawned a whole uh, set of uh, law, uh, law firms devoted to this. So, so we have to be very careful how we interpret it, uh, and, and, I, and I want to be cautious. But the spirit of the Voting Rights Act is not to create uh, majority-minority districts. The spirit of the Voting Rights Act is not to hurt minorities, so it doesn't, it's, it's not the case that we need to have a district say in Detroit that is majority black. What we need to have is a district where the uh, black community or the Hispanic community or whichever community that is a minority in the state but is a locally sufficiently large gets their candidate elected. So it's uh, the candidate that the community would want. So it's not so much that we need to put all the black uh, voters together. What we need is to create districts in such a way that in Detroit, the black community ends up having the the representatives that it would have chosen. So when you look at the votes of the precincts that are predominantly uh, black, if, if, if they voted one way, but they're put in a district where a different majority outvotes them, that would not be legal. But it's not so much that we need Blacks per se. So we're we're not looking at dividing people by race and then saying, well, there is enough of you in two districts. We're looking at voters are not going to be put in such a way that a minority by race ends up getting what it doesn't want, which is a somewhat different uh, nuance. So we don't need 60, 70 percent of the 13th and 14th district being uh, uh, African-American voters. What we need is that the way you split Detroit in the end, you end up, you do not end up doing something strange that you take, say, a sliver of Detroit and then take it to the hinterland so that that Detroit gets outvoted by rural voters elsewhere in the state. That you cannot do. The community in Detroit must be able to vote for its preferred candidate. But that's a different, for that you don't need to go snake out to find Pontiac. If you take, particularly the city of Detroit, I would argue, this is no personal argument, mm-hmm. but. The city of Detroit is the size of a congressional district. It is, right. So it's very easy to say, all right, Detroit plus Gross Point and Hamtrack and a couple other towns to make it exactly three-quarters of a million. That's a coherent district. That's and that if you draw that district, that district is gonna vote however Detroit wants, because it is Detroit. You don't need to go find other people that visually look the same uh, as those voters in Pontiac or Flint or wherever. It's not necessary. Uh, so you can just do Detroit. And then if you do that, then a second district would also have a substantial uh, African-American presence, but maybe it's a much more mixed district instead of 70% African-American. And then you can have uh, in in some suburbs, actually the, the, the voice count more in Two other districts. So instead of being all packed, uh, that community into two districts, the 13th and the 14th, you can have one that is Detroit, and then you can have two more, where the black community in the suburbs of Detroit has a huge say, with uh, together with community that is not black but is progressive or is liberal, and with some other uh, community that is uh, more conservative. Yeah. But uh, that's uh, that. That's I think it's in the spirit of the voting. Uh, Right. So it's not that we're trying to create, quote, unquote, black districts. What we're trying to do or what what the right uh, voting rights, as I understand it, tries to do is make sure that the districts are not drawn to negate the voice of minority communities. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to continue this conversation about redistricting and the census. And we want to get to your calls. Call and tell us what your reaction is. The idea that Michigan is going to lose another seat in Congress after last year's census. What do you think that will mean for our state? What do you think that will mean uh, for the communities that are represented by the congressional districts? Uh, Also, what are some of the things you think Michigan needs to do to reverse the long-term trend Of not keeping pace with the rest of the country when it comes to population, either losing population outright or not gaining as fast as other places. 313 577 1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to include them into the conversation. Hang in there, we'll be right back with more Detroit Today. host, Stephen Henderson. As always, I'm really glad you've joined us. My guests are Kurt Metzger, local demographer and founder of Data-Driven Detroit. He is also the mayor of Pleasant Ridge. Also with us is John Aguia. He is a redistricting expert at Michigan State University, where he's also a professor of economics and political science. We're talking about the news yesterday that uh, the census numbers from 2020 suggest that uh, Michigan is not keeping pace with its population growth, uh, with other states. And as a result, we will lose yet another uh, congressional seat, something that has happened in the last five census counts. Uh, We had 18 uh, representatives in 1970. Uh, We will now have 13 going into the 2020s. Uh, We're talking about what that means in the redistricting process, which is already going to look really different here in Michigan because we've now got an independent commission making the line-drawing decisions, uh, but we're also talking about what the population story means for Michigan. Uh, why are we not attracting more people uh, to want to live here? Why are we not attracting the kind of people, uh, highly educated, uh, mobile, that, uh, that businesses so often are interested uh, in in having in a state when they decide to locate there. Uh, we would love to hear from you as well. What do you make of uh, these census numbers? What do you make of the idea of losing another congressional state? What do you think it'll mean for us here in Michigan? Also, give us a call and tell us what you would do differently to try to attract more people here uh, to Michigan so that we could keep up with states like Texas or Arizona, uh, the Carolinas, uh, all places that have been uh, have been growing uh, at, at a much faster pace than we have here. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we'll try to include you that way. Uh, Kurt, before we get to to listeners, mm-hmm. uh, as I said, you're the mayor of yeah. uh, Pleasant Ridge. What are your concerns in terms of what this will mean for local governments? Funding is a huge part of what gets decided from census numbers. Uh, what will that look like for Pleasant Ridge and other communities?
1: Well, you know, the state has continually cut back on revenue sharing. So, you know, we we expect less and less from the state anyway. Um, and certainly it's it, it's going to affect the amount of federal funds coming to the state, Um there is an enormous amount of money based on census. I mean, obviously, population counts is just part of it. There's issues around educational attainment and poverty and, and a number of other issues that, that, that feed into the uh, funding. But, yes, I mean, it's, it, obviously, fewer people um, is going to um, you know, result in, in fewer dollars from, from the feds and then fewer dollars down to the local levels. Um, that, that is definitely that is a big problem, um, and and certainly an issue that, that needs to be addressed. Um, that again, I, I as a as a community here on the Woodward corridor, my our our questions are that whole idea of coordination, um, working together. I mean, we, we need to do much more than working just within the region, but we need to do it as a state, and we're not coming together with any real coordinated plans. What are we going to do? How are we going to attract? There are a lot of one-offs, a lot of, lot of good programming out there, but I think we're, we're at a point where we need to really start thinking about um, where we're going with this. The last... When I was looking at the last numbers, we've got 61 of our 83 counties where more people are dying than being born mm. on a yearly basis. Mm. That is not going to drive the economy, and, and I don't, and I've talked to a number of people. I've talked to health care providers and others in rural areas, and the counties aren't coming together to do any economic development. What are you know, When you've got 61 counties losing population, what are they doing to coordinate efforts, and I think that's one of the big issues in Michigan, whether it's in Southeast Michigan or anything else, you know, whether we get coordinated around public transportation or anything. We just seem to be a very separated state, and certainly the Republican messaging at in Left from Lansing is not helping us. I just don't see Michigan as being seen as a progressive. Um, new vital state where people are going to want to come, and I appreciate that one person comes in 2014, but on a on a year to year basis, we're we're talking about we need big numbers, um, and I find Michigan very attractive. I think certainly, um, but but it does look from the expressway. I, I I just as an example, I drove from Florida last year from Florida to. Uh, before the pandemic, from Florida back to Michigan. Mm-hmm. And boy, the look from the highway through Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, and Kentucky is one of growth, and, and everything looks new and, and very vital. And as soon as you cross into Cincinnati and head north, things start looking old and industrial mm-hmm. and gray and just it it's it's a whole different outlook. I think there's a lot more coordination when you look at in the Carolinas and you look at the south these states are working together i mean they're not working separately and i think when you look at the, the the losses of of seats and you've got illinois and you've got ohio and you've got pennsylvania um and new york i mean there needs to be some coordination of around the great lake states and others how do we start to fight this sure. losing battle that we seem to have
0: yeah yeah uh Marie from Detroit uh, called and didn't want to stay on the line, but she says with the pandemic, her company went from hiring exclusively in-state to out-of-state. Uh, mm-hmm. Could this mark a larger trend by large companies, uh, and how would that impact Michigan population and representation in the future? I have not heard of that kind of uh, trend no. going on. Kurt, have you?
1: No, I haven't. Now, are these hires staying out-of-state? Are they working remotely?
0: Um, uh, i think that I think that's what she's implying with the uh, with the question is that uh, because of uh, the changes because of the hmm. pandemic that uh, that they're working remotely
1: um, so that may help our our michigan based companies but it won't change our population
3: right right, right, <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> that's an
1: interesting interesting <laughs> way to is. do it here we thought we people would move to Michigan because they could work remotely you know they'd move to Michigan because of uh, housing costs and maybe maybe weather, depending on where they want to locate, and, um, and other, certainly the, the amenities. and, and the, I mean, I'm, I'm not going anywhere, but, but the, the idea was maybe we could start attracting people who may be working out of state, uh, as yeah. opposed to in-state businesses hiring people who continue to live out of state. Yeah,
0: yeah. Right, let's go to John on the east side. John, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for taking my call. Great conversation and I've been thinking about it a lot because we've had such an influx of people moving into the Jeff Chalmers area from out of state mm-hmm. due to housing costs, due to um working from home and other things, but it occurred to me, what are the costs of urban sprawl through our state to just draw more people to have more congressional power? And you know you say we're getting money back from washington but that just comes from us anyway so why don't we just finagle it so we're not paying so much we're a donor <laughs> state in many many respects we we pay more for uh insurance and flood insurance whereas the rest of the country draws more off of those because of natural of disasters that. and everything else so mm-hmm. i know it's a lot but what are the costs of just having congressional power and more people?
0: Hmm. Uh, John, that's an interesting question. I, I, I especially am interested in, in what you started with, which is that in Jefferson Chalmers, what you're seeing is, is people coming and not going. And and I think that's kind of a key to to, uh, to to some of the questions that we're asking here, which is if we're able to do it in some places. And I think you can point to places – Especially in Metro Detroit, where we are attracting people, the the problem is frequently in the more rural parts of the state. I think we are we are not gaining population. We're not even maintaining uh, the population. Is that is that right, Carter? Are are, are the, some of the places yeah. that uh, we should be looking in cities like Detroit, where we where we are attracting people?
1: Well, I think so. I mean, I, you know, back to the the rural the rural side, just you have You have the current district one and and, and that right now is the upper peninsula, and it is over thirty some counties mm-hmm. to create one district and based on estimates, there's still going to be almost seventy thousand fewer people than is necessary for a district so so I mean it just kind of shows you how few people live in in the rural parts of the uh, the state. We know that that's going to have to. Um, increase in size regardless. I mean, that's, that's one district that before we get down to communities of interest and everything else. Um, I think the big question, again, is mentioning Jefferson Chalmers. I keep getting questions. Well, what's Detroit's population going to be? I don't know. I mean, we don't know. The, the, the numbers came in from the census about 110,000 higher than what the Census Bureau had estimated mm-hmm. for 2020. So Michigan did pick up. Obviously, nationally, I think it was $3 more than they had predicted. So that's a positive, I guess, depending Mm -hmm. on how good their estimate procedures are. But we know that we just went through a census that was um, difficult, if not (laughs) unprecedented. Um, And we know that Detroit had the lowest response rate of any major city in terms of online response and everything. But we know that it worked, Detroiters worked harder than ever to get out the count. We don't know what the numbers, we know now statewide what we've got, but we have no idea of the shifts that the census are, is going to show. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yes, I mean, I, w- I want to concentrate on building Detroit. I mean, I, wanted, you know, I don't want more, any more sprawl. I would like us to fill in the gaps that we have throughout southeast Michigan. Um, there's plenty of room to grow without continuing that urban sprawl that we've seen over the yeah. decades. And I think urban sprawl that's, that's really hurt the city of Detroit and hurt, has hurt many of the near-end suburbs. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, Kurt Metzger and John Eggia. Uh, it was great to have both of you here for this, uh, for this conversation. And I think it's something we're going to be talking about uh, an awful lot once we start to see some of these, uh, these maps show up and see the rest of the census numbers. So thank you both for joining us. Thank you,
2: Stephen. Thank you so much.
0: Okay, we're going to take another quick break and we come back, we are going to take a look at the flaws in forensic science with an author and law professor who knows the subject inside and out. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.